Welcome everyone to today's webinar, Sacred Sendoffs. My name is Michael Skaggs. I'm Director of Programs at the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab. Let me say a few words on behalf of the lab before we get started and then we'll get underway. Like most of our events, this is being recorded. And so if you need to leave early or if you miss a point that you wanna come back to, don't worry. You'll get a link to the recording as soon as it's available. It goes up on YouTube, our website, lots of ways to watch it. It takes us a couple of days, but we'll get it to you. When you get that link, there's a survey in there about your experience here. I know everyone is bombarded by surveys. I totally get it. Uh, but if you could take a minute to fill it out, that helps us plan uh, for future events. And then finally, I want to thank our sponsor for today's webinar, uh, which is Pet Chaplain. Pet Chaplain offers small group online training and spiritual care for pet loss. Their unique approach to spiritual care is grounded in storytelling and the latest research in the human-animal bond and bereavement. Visit PetChaplain.com and discover how you can help people who love animals. So with that, let me introduce today's guests. A guest, one guest, just, just Sarah today. Uh, Sarah Bowen is an award-winning author, animal chaplain, and educator who teaches interspecies mindfulness practices, helps humans survive loss, and advocates for exploited and endangered species in spiritual and secular contexts. Her new book is Sacred Sendoffs. She is a dean at One Spirit Interfaith Seminary and encourages people to align their spiritual values with animal and planetary welfare. She is also a co-founder of Compassion Consortium, I almost said curriculum, Compassion Consortium, an interfaith and interspecies spiritual community where she directs the Animal Chaplaincy Training Program. A passionate writer and speaker, her work has appeared at United Nations World Interfaith Harmony Week, Parliament of the World's Religions, Pache e Bene's Campaign Nonviolence Action Week, in spirituality and health, Parabola, Tricycle, The Buddhist Review, and a range of podcasts, TV, and radio shows. You have one of those bios that you're out of breath by the time you get to the end of it because you've done so much. Uh, and then finally, an RNS Vatican news reporter recently featured her response to Pope Francis's suggestion that having pets is selfish. Maybe that's one of those things that we're just going to let that stay over there to the side today. <laughs> her website is at sacredsendoffs.com. Welcome, Sarah. I'm going to turn it over to you. Oh, Michael, thank you so much. We'll go where we want to go, I suppose, right? Where all of you folks want to go. And I, I really appreciate you being here and the interest in this topic. I think the reason that my bio is getting increasingly long is because people are interested in this topic about what is this mix between animals and humans and what are the conflicts that arise? And what about the grief that we feel when we lose an animal companion that we really feel close to? So there are a lot of ways we could go today, but Michael has asked me to, uh, to focus on two, which I think are great. The first is uh, just a minute or two, well, actually three. The first is a minute or two on how I come to this work. The second is why I wrote Sacred Sendoffs and what's in it and why it might be of interest to you. And then the third is what are some practical tips, some principles for working people, if you're working as a chaplain, as a veterinarian, as someone in a funeral home or aftercare service or whatever way that you approach this work, what are some principles that might be useful for you? And then I will stop talking and we should have a good healthy amount of time at the end of this for your questions. I probably won't be able to keep up with them while um, I am talking to you in the first part of this. Uh, so if you could save those or jot those down and wait for the Q&A session, that would be fabulous. And I'm going to share my screen. I have a few visuals to give you today. So bear with me right here. Okay, here we go. So how I come to this work. This is me at about eight or nine. 
with my sister and with a cat we had named him. And I was a preacher's kid. And I spent a lot of time in funeral homes and a lot of times with my dad saying, hey, 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 on the way to swimming lessons, we need to stop by the hospital. We need to stop by the funeral home. We need to stop by someone's home. And so, you know, death and bereavement and grief and loss and all these kind of topics were things that were not, um, they weren't strange to me. They were part of the context and the landscape in which I grew. So much so that when I would walk home from school and I would find a tiny little chipmunk or a squirrel or some sort of critter that had been smashed by a car on the side of the road, I would gently pick him up using a stick, of course, because my mother had warned me about germs. And I would uh, put, put him or her in my lunchbox and take them home for a little burial. And I would end that burial service with, may the force be with you, chipmunk. So there's kind of part of our, our family's history is me and this concern for critters. Uh, as I grew up, as I became an unruly teenager, uh, they started to get me in a little bit of trouble. I was at a ecumenical youth retreat and on the free time, we had been wandering around and had run into a pet store and I had seen a whole bunch of very adorable little mice with a sign that said only 99 cents each. And I thought, that's fabulous. And I asked the person, why are the mice so inexpensive? And they said, they're to feed to the snakes. So that was the beginnings of more questions about humans and animals. And I purchased one, which I put in my pocket of my little punk rock uh, red flannel shirt and got turned in uh, by some other girls who weren't so happy about this for the alleged crime of bringing a rodent to church. So fast forward a while, I ended up going to a number of different programs and seminaries and uh, the Sarah, I think we've lost your audio. <laughs> uh oh, she's frozen. We may have to wait a second for her to catch back up here. Books, right? The books. And let's say about animals. Are you hearing me now, Michael? Yep, you, you came in very quickly. You're back. Thank you. Interesting. So I was being self edited by the universe. If that happens again, Michael, please let me know. So I believe what I was saying is I did a lot of study and a lot of reading and a lot of courses and a lot of seminaries to end up being an animal chaplain and an educator in this area, speaking and talking and writing wherever I can, including uh, today's webinar for all of you. And of course, it gets me into some interesting situations like Michael mentioned about commenting on things that the Pope might say or having an article run on National Pet Day saying, hey, we need to talk about death too. And so I enjoy the messy conversations that come up where humans and animals meet. So much so that I wrote a book about it. So Sacred Sendoffs is really my attempt to help us deepen conversations about recovering from pet loss. That's one facet of our relationship with animals. And I'm hoping that what I can help us do is to understand it more uh, and to expand beyond animals. So there's a couple of different topics that are in the book that I wanna give you a preview to today. The first is a hope that we can start to foreground animal spirituality. 
I want you to think about uh, those of you that, that live with animals. And uh, in the US, it's about 70% of us, 57% internationally. And think about what we offer the animals that we live with. It's often shelter, might be food, play, uh, stroking or touch. Uh, we might be emptying a cat litter box every once in a while or taking a dog out. What are we doing for their spiritual lives? And do they have spiritual lives? And if we had two hours in this webinar, I would go through another piece of my work, which is explaining uh, the research that we have for the spiritual lives of animals, starting with Jane Goodall and working through other primatologists, folks like James Herod, Tia Brooks Preback. And at the end of this webinar, we'll be giving you a link uh, to a web page I've put together for you with much of that information so that you have it if you're curious about the spiritual lives of animals and whether your dog might meditate or your cat might have a connection with a higher power. So that's one of the topics I'm very interested in us bringing, bringing to the foreground. And part of that is this idea that we learn from, uh, I love this quote from a German uh, biologist who had this concept of the Umwelt, or the idea that all animals are fitted into their unique worlds with equal completeness. Being able to companion the animals that we live with, uh, understanding that they have their own worlds that have nothing to do with us. And so, you know, what happens when their worlds and our worlds uh, those conflicts of needs and desires, what happens when those might uh, not be in alignment? So we talked a little bit about that too. Because when we lose an animal companion, we need to also acknowledge animal grief. So if we go back about 200 years, there were a lot of beliefs that animals were automata, uh, that they were basically beings that were cause and effect, you know, poke them, they scream, it's just a reflex, these kind of ideas. But in the last 200 years, and more so in the last 100 years, in the last 20 years, we have learned so much thanks to ethologists and environmental biologists and all sorts of different folks telling us about animal grief. It's kind of interesting, this article that we see here, even the headline tells us a lot about how we think about and talk about animals. Grief or instinct, interpreting a mother orca's actions. It's not just orcas. We see elephants who return and return and return to the bones of their ancestors. We see birds who grieve, missing their fellow mates. We see primates grieving their children, and camels too. We also see animals grieving humans that they lose. There's one horse uh, at the procession of their human. And here's George H.W. Bush's service dog. We look all over the internet, we can see stories and stories and stories about telling us how animals grieve too. And I get into a little bit of that in the book as well. The next topic that I think is important, bring into the context of what I think many of you are here today to hear about, which is how do we help people who might be facing an animal loss or had an animal loss or people who 
might be experiencing disenfranchised grief, uh, who might not be able to, to cope with a loss that they've had. Uh, we even have situations now with folks who, uh, especially in aging populations, who may not want to get involved with an animal companion for fear they won't be able to uh, handle a loss or that they may outlive an animal. And what does that bring forward? So one of the things I'm really advocating for in this book and in my work and, and with the animal chaplains that, that I train is let's talk about death before death comes. Let's normalize this topic and let's help people plan for the best worst day. What can you have available? Can you have a kit together with a blanket, with some words uh, that might be meaningful to you in the moment that happens if you're doing animal hospice? Uh, where are the phone numbers that you might want to assemble and have ready to go? Who are the friends that you have already lined up who can support you? Or if you've had a sudden catastrophe, um, I have had those. We had a little orange ginger cat and we came home and he was paralyzed from the waist down. What do you do about that when you have to make decisions very, very quickly? And what I've learned is it helps if we've had those thoughts before the catastrophe happens. You know, talking about living with an animal also means a high potential that we're going to lose an animal. And how can we, rather than become anxious and frozen, and I don't want to talk about it because I can't handle it, how can we view these as sacred send-offs? How can we view these as part of our animal's life? And how can we also get involved in caring for animals' bodies in the way that we care for humans' bodies? Uh, those of you who are working in the death positive ideas or home, uh, home care for people in hospice or green burials or different ways that we are kind of looking at caring for bodies now. Um, this extends also to animals because humans are animals too. Now, what we often see with, uh, with animals, and this is important to know if you're working with someone who's about to, or has just had an animal loss, uh, is for the most part, those animals, if it happens at a veterinary office, will be cremated and people will be offered a choice. Uh, would you like a group cremation? Would you like an individual cremation? And people have a lot of different thoughts about that about um, whether they would like to receive the cremains back of the animal that they knew, or if they're okay with uh, commingling. Now, you can probably suspect that it's much cheaper to commingle, right? It's much cheaper for us to, uh, for people to do mass cremation uh, or larger groups than it is to do individuals. There's also a climate change impact now or an environmental concern about the amount of energy that cremation takes. And so we're seeing a big trend towards aquamation. Uh, I have an entire chapter in Sacred Send-Offs if, if you want to learn more about each of these different topics and some I'm not able to talk about today, different ways of caring with, for animal bodies. But aquamation is where we use water instead of fire uh, to do the same thing. And people can still have some cremains uh, that the, the rest of the body is dissolved into the water. Sometimes that water is used for uh, different ways of, of fertilizer. Uh, so there may be uh, more life to the life, right? In that kind of circle for people who believe in the, in the circle of life and death. Um, and people also still have the ability to memorialize. A lot of work being done now on uh, pet green 
burials for pets, which is an option, as well as recomposition. Now, for those of you who've not heard about recomposition yet, there may be a huh? Uh, but it's, it's kind of an interesting idea. The idea that if we're thinking about ashes to ashes and earth to earth and going back and becoming life for the earth and life for life, uh, there are organizations now which will recompose or compost, if you will, um, not, not in a pile in your backyard, but in uh, special containers that have been made for that. And you can pick up the soil to uh, put back in your garden. Uh, or you can have that soil donated. Uh, there's a couple companies in the Pacific Northwest who do this and uh, we'll take it out to a forest and help uh, use that earth to help trees grow. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of different ways. And if we had more time, I would talk to you also about taxidermy and mummification and cryopreservation, about people who use uh, pet remains that get mixed with tattoo ink to create tattoos. Some people shoot the cremains of Fido out into space, uh, or some may simply create, you know, a, a memorial or something like you see on the right-hand side. If you're interested in any of this, please uh, look to the book. There's an entire chapter on those different topics and what they are and, and how they work. The last thing that uh, Sacred Sendoffs does is to also encourage us to go beyond pets. There is a chapter uh, on wildlife, on managed animals, on captive animals. There's some information about lab animals, different things that are happening. Because what I'm finding in my work increasingly, uh, especially with folks who were born with uh, easy access to the internet and social media, is they're much more astute now about some of the losses that are happening in the more than human world than I was growing up. A lot of this was hidden to me. What happened to animals that were shot into outer space or burrows that are rounded up by helicopters or factory farming or lab animals or uh, in, when the COVID began, all the minks, uh, all the animals that were, that were put to death really, um, you know, because of different COVID implications. So the book has some information about that too. So we can have a wider, a wider talk about loss uh, what happens to us and, and what happens when we don't recognize these massive collective uh, losses to the planet, like extinction, habitat loss, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also some interesting things that happen where religion and spirituality and animals meet, which is looking at some of our rituals. And uh, are, are, they, are they kind to animals? Are they uh, kind to the planet and different habitats, might there be some that need updates, uh, like the Buddhist ritual of uh, letting animals go led to a lot of animals being kept captive so that they could be let go. Uh, we also see some issues with uh, different rituals uh, that uh, for animal sacrifice. Uh, you can see I even get a little a little stipped up in my, in my language there when I start to talk it, but what, what do we do about these? What do we do about ways to modernize those so that we can have the same uh, intention to our rituals, but perhaps in a way that takes into account all we now know about animals that the folks that developed those rituals might not have known. So that's a little bit about why I wrote the book and what's in the book and uh, in your registration for this webinar, there was a discount uh, if you want to get a signed copy as well, a couple bucks off for any of you who are here today. 
So we'll make sure that you have that after the webinar. So let's talk about some things that might be useful to you. What are some principles for working with people around animal loss? And primarily that's probably gonna be around pet loss. Um, those of us who are in this, this field uh, in, in the academic sense and like to go down rabbit holes, uh, you'll notice there's some kind of interesting conversations that, that are had around the world. I think we're having some of the famous Zoom lag again, so we'll give uh, we'll give Sarah just a second. I'm sure she'll she'll catch back up with us here. Word pet versus the word animal to know more about. Am I caught up? You're caught up. You're live. Okay. Well, I'm not sure what that is, but I, I apologize for it. And again, please let me know. I'm being edited by the universe. So uh, some principles for working with people around, around loss. Now, this is why I think it matters to those of us that are on this um, webinar today. I'm, I'm guessing a little bit about those of you who are here. And I think that these statistics are important for us. The first is that I mentioned 70% of people have a pet in their home in the US, 57% international, uh, internationally. So this is going to come up, whether we talk about it or not, it's part of people's lives, most people's lives. One study suggests that 93% of people who experience animal loss have a disruption in their lives. Over 50% reduce social activities. 45% have job-related difficulties. There's problems sleeping, increased stress, anxiety, worry, depression, all the things that come uh, with grief come with animal grief as well. Uh, one, one thing that's a little different about uh, working with animal loss is that it isn't in our culture as easily accepted as the grief we might have uh, around humans. You know, there isn't the days off from work. Uh, there aren't the, the funerals uh, that might have everybody come over uh, for, for a wake or to a funeral or a way of having your family and your friends that are uh, acknowledging that loss. Um, people often don't also know what to do about people who are sad because of a dog or a cat. And so that creates discomfort. Uh, how can I just get them over it so that I can stop dealing with the discomfort that I'm feeling? And because of this, a very small amount of people actually talk with someone about the loss. So this is where chaplains, this is where animal chaplains, human chaplains, um, different folks can get involved in this, veterinarian chaplains, and we'll talk a little bit at the end about the different ways that animal chaplains are finding work and the places that we're working um, so that people do have an outlet of talking about this. Animal chaplains often fill, often fill that gap, especially because we know in another uh, research recently done by the Fetzer Institute, 86% of people consider themselves spiritual to some extent. I think that's important. 80% of people that were surveyed, this was in the US, do some sort of spiritual practice every week, whether that's prayer or meditation or martial arts or spiritual reading or going to a yoga or whatever they're doing. 
So when we're approaching grief uh, or animal loss in this case, uh, from a clinical standpoint, without dealing with the spiritual, we're not often addressing everything that's going on in that person's mind, especially that big question, do animals have souls? Which if I had a dollar for every time I was asked that question, uh, I, I could retire and open a really, really great animal sanctuary. So these are some of the things, reasons I think that it's important uh, for us to talk about. And the first thing that I want to recommend that any of you do, if you're interested in getting into this work, or if you're in this work and you haven't done this before, is to do your own work first. Get in touch with your past experience. In Sacred Send-Offs, I offer an exercise called Your Lost Line. And it goes something like this. And many of you may have already done lost lines with grief, but you may not have included animals. Go back to the very first one. The fish that your father might have flushed, the cat that didn't come home, the hamster that got lost. Go back and revisit that. And then go forward forward, forward, forward through these losses. But as you're doing that, ask yourself a couple questions. How did you mark that loss? Or how was it handled by the people around you, especially if you were a child? What were you told? And what did you tell yourself about those losses? This helps us touch and start to understand the place that people that we're working with may come from. And it's not something that is just buried in our past. It's often something that's continuing to go on. Yesterday, I buried a mouse who ended up in the toilet in our outside studio. No matter how many signs I put on that toilet that says, please don't leave the seat up, about once a year, I'm doing a mouse burial in the backyard. So looking at all of those losses is a way of getting in touch with your own animal loss. When I work with others who are anticipating a loss or who've just had one, I love to show them other things. There's a beautiful, beautiful um, video, and it's on the link that you guys will get here at the end, um, of a recent funeral that was done for a tiger in India. It's about a two minute video. It's just beautiful. There are no words to it. Uh, it's people coming up and giving their reverence and dropping flowers. Uh, there are other videos that you can see of animals who are grieving other animals and to help people know what are the options? What is the way you might like to do a sacred send off? What is meaningful to you? What might be meaningful to the animal? Uh, what are the things that you have shared together and how, I, how might we put those together to plan for the best worst day? And then my own approach really has uh, a couple different steps after people uh, have had a loss. And I know that people's methods and chaplain's methods and, and training varies greatly. So, you know, I'm just sharing my, my experience here with you. Uh, but the first is to help them accept the reality of the loss, memorializing, ritualizing, um, incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, I have furry wakes with a lot of people and teach them how to have a furry wake invite some friends over, share about, the, share about the life of that animal, have them share about the losses that they've had, enjoy some time with plenty of Kleenex boxes and encourage each other to let out those sacred tears. Also funerals, 
Um, this was a funeral recently did for a little cat named Buddy, who is buried in my backyard with a, a little bit of a pet toy appropriated from, from one of the cats I live with. And the person that I did this with is of the Jewish tradition. So at the end, we took turns uh, shoveling the dirt, which was important to her and her tradition. So knowing a little bit, having some competency about death rituals in other religions and doing you can put remains or ashes into into those to where there's all sorts of different ways to do this and i can't underscore how important it is to have group rituals this was a ritual for loss we did at a, a retreat at unity village uh, where we had people come up and, and leave a note to their loved one and then light a candle that we had on a table very simple, very easy, very meaningful and beautiful people or for people while, while music played. The second thing I help people do is process the pain of grief and adjust to the life after loss. And that's, that involves a lot of talking, that involves a lot of helping people figure out uh, different, uh, different ways of doing things in their life, um, uh, maybe driving different routes, uh, walking different routes in their home. Uh, it also includes a lot of, I encourage people to, to continue to, uh, to memorialize in different ways, not just the one, um, but ways of if there is a grave to go out and to, to leave flowers, have conversations, to, uh, if you have children, especially to create maybe a memorial garden in the backyard where the child, whenever they are sad or feeling like they'd like to talk to Fido or Fluffy can go out there and spend some time by themselves in that way. And I also do uh, the WTF prayer. Um, this WTF can mean what you traditionally think it might or being a Star Wars. fan. I often call it what the force. I had a client once welcome in um, all of the things that we're feeling. Welcome tight fists, welcome beating heart, welcome uh, tears that are coming from my eyes, welcome exclamations that are coming from my mouth. I welcome you into my body as a place for healing. And then welcoming in anything that is helpful. I welcome in God or goddess or the force or my highest self or the universe or mother earth or whatever is meaningful to that person that we invite that into our bodies as well for a place of healing. And this has been um, a really beautiful, beautiful practice for people. Uh, and, and I find it, it's very useful for them and they report back um, that it's something that they're regularly using, that it's something that during the day they can tap into. Uh, 
Another uh, thing that I do uh, is ask people to find enduring connections. Uh, look for those ideas of bonds that go beyond death. I, I am one of those people who don't think that it's silly to continue to talk to a being once they've left their body. I think it's natural. I think it's often helpful. Um, I am not someone who works with the idea of closure. Uh, I am someone who works with the idea of mystery and holding on to the possibility that we can't possibly understand. And so my language is often about uh, our animals going to the what's next, which is an open kind of language that can be useful for whatever that what's next is in someone's mind um, without me having to define the what's next for them. In the book, I go through about seven or eight um, beliefs that, that don't correspond for myself about what I think has happened to some of the animals that I have lived with. And they're completely incongruent. And they are, um, they are beliefs that I hold like many of our religious and spiritual beliefs. Sometimes they conflict with each other and I'm just okay with that. Uh, I, I hold the possibility for a lot of different things that may happen to us uh, after we leave our bodies. This is a beautiful way that um, one of the kind of enduring connections kind of things that, that I found once. Uh, this is not something that I did or someone that I know I did, but I'm on a lot of death boards. But the idea of taking uh, the, the toys or the balls or, or something that your, your pet has played with uh, and being able to, to give those to others or take them to shelters. Now, you know, we're careful about, obviously, if there were various diseases that the animal had or, or sanitation or we live in a COVID world now. Um, but this idea of passing on even the things that, um, that, that were useful to those animals during their life. I've also picked up the, uh, the idea of the yard site uh, from the Jewish tradition, the idea of lighting candles on a regular basis uh, and encourage people even, you know, if they have a small altar uh, that they have for, for the animal, if they have cremains, uh, to light a candle every day, light a candle every week or every month or whatever uh, they'd like to and say the words they wish they had said or the words that they feel today or be able to keep processing um, whatever they'd like to say. Memorial gardens, places to sit and cry under a tree. I love those. So encouraging that again, especially for children. Uh, writing letters, actually writing letters. We put out a kit, um, a sacred send-offs kit in which we have paper uh, in there. We have Joss paper uh, from the Buddhist tradition uh, and actually in, in, in Hindu traditions as well, but uh, paper that you can write a letter on and then light on fire. Uh, really great for people who have an animal who've left and never came back. So you have no cremains to write the letter, burn that, put it in a, a small, tiny little urn, perhaps, um, and, and be able to do that. Also have a paper in there that you write the letter of the feelings and it, it dissolves into water. So being really creative about the ways that we can help people with this. And finally, uh, prayer. A lot of people uh, do pray uh, and would like some help praying. And so I, I, I pray with people from whatever tradition, you know, that they're in and help them do prayer together. Prayer where if they might not be able to start, I start and then ask them to continue. There are other tips within the book um, that, you know, if this is, is interesting to you, one of the other things that I really find useful for people
is that idea of being in that transition time uh, that you might have between living with one animal and living with another one. And I just want to wrap with a couple of complex issues that I think are important to note, and there's information on the website uh, about these uh, issues with, with uh, you know, juveniles who hurt animals. Uh, we have some research about that and what you can do if you have an, a, um, a child who is injuring animals. Um, there's it's a, it's a warning sign that there's something going on and can we help them with that? And there's some very, very wonderful specific resources for that. Um, also war. I don't know if any of you have, well, obviously we know about what's going on in Ukraine, but uh, the, the pet and the animal uh, facet of that, the 4,000 animals who were in the zoo in Kyiv and what had to happen there. All sorts of other issues that come up for people uh, who may not want to leave their home uh, because you know, there's an animal in the home and they're not sure if they can get across the border, uh, other things like that. Domestic violence in animals, really, really important to know about this as well. Um, many, many people who are the victim of domestic abuse um, also, their animals may be, and an animal is frequently, frequently used as a way to hurt um, a spouse or someone that you live with. Uh, there are some resources on this. This is an incredibly important area for us to be aware of. Also, co-sheltering. There's a lot of movements right now about how can we make sure that people who need to go to a domestic violence shelter or a homeless shelter are able to bring their animals, and what does that mean? Uh, there's some incredible work being done in advocacy in that area as well. Uh, these are the resources that I have up on the website for you. As well as aging populations, uh, I went through this with my mother recently who has a cat named Penny who's adorable, and I filled out 11 pages of paperwork for Penny and got Penny to assisted living with my mom and paid a $500 pet deposit. And then when we got there, found out there were some cultural issues where some of the staff had a uh, strong, strong fear of cats uh, based on their religious beliefs. And we had to navigate that and it was very, very difficult and continues to be. Uh, you also have a large amount of people who do not want to uh, leave their home, uh, again, in assisted living uh, because they can't bring an animal or what happens if I'm, I stop being able to take care of that animal? What happens if you know I'm not able to do that anymore? We went through this with my mother as well. So we have someone coming in to scoop the poop every other day uh, and make sure that everything's going okay because she can no longer bend. And these are issues that people may or may not bring up when we're working with them. Uh, these are issues when someone's in hospice or someone's in the hospital of who's taking care of Fido or Fluffy? And what about the uh, people's concerns that what's gonna happen afterwards because their kids don't want Fido or Fluffy. Uh, a large amount of the animals that uh, go through euthanasia are because someone has died. Um, there's great work being done in shelters now that about 52% of the shelters in the United States are now no-kill. Uh, we're getting there, we're getting there, but uh, we specifically have problems with cats. Two and a half uh, cats for every dog uh, are euthanized in shelters. Uh, so, you know, what do, what do we do about that? And someone asked me about the half cat. I don't know if there's a half cat, but that's how the statistics work out. 
So there are a lot of other resources that I have for you uh, too about what people can do when they can no longer care for a pet uh, or they uh, can't move somewhere or they're in hospice or any of those kind of end of life human concerns that may also have an end of life animal concern on the back end that someone may not want to talk about. And that is, uh, that is my, my slide portion of, of this for you all today. Uh, I hope this has been useful. I hope that the internet didn't go out too many times beyond the two that Michael uh, let me know. Uh, the web address is sacredsendoffs.com slash CIL, Chaplaincy Innovation Lab. Extra thanks to the folks from Pet Chaplain uh, who were sponsoring uh, this organization, or this, this uh, webinar today, as well as to all the other organizations who are involved in the different facets and pieces of getting animal concerns raised up within chaplaincy, within end of life, within aftercare. So I will stop my slides and Michael, you tell us how we go with the Q&A and all of that. Great. Well, thank you very much. This has been so wonderfully informative and I always learn something new uh, in every webinar and especially uh, a topic like this, which is emergent. I know it's been emergent for the past couple of years, but it is still relatively small in the field. And so um, it's always exciting to learn new things here. I just want to, I'll mention a couple of the comments that people left in the Q&A and then we'll get to actual questions. Uh, one person says, I happen to work for a company that does acknowledge animal loss with at least one or two days off. So these companies do exist. Thank you, Jennifer, for that comment. Um, uh, Paul says, at the request of a congregant, I included the name of his pet among the names we read at the YSCOR. Uh, forgive the pronunciation if I've gotten that wrong, Paul. Service when we remember those who died during the past year. Thank you, Paul. Uh, some, one says, uh, I am dealing with canine dementia, which is a real illness and a hardship. That's... <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I, I don't know uh, anything about that. Thank you. Uh, so lots of interesting things going on here. Well, let's get to the questions. Uh, so Deborah says, this is from the very beginning when you were talking about uh, sort of what to do with remains. With aquamation, my understanding is that there are environmentally harmful chemicals used in the process. Could you speak to this? I can, and, and a little bit. Um, I don't run a facility, um, and I know that the facilities, uh, they, their process varies greatly. So I think it's a, a, an issue of weighing the environmental concerns of, of one thing to another thing. Uh, so the question I would have is if you're considering aquamation or someone's considering aquamation in your area, to ask those questions of the aquamation company. So to be able to know, you know, what are... Uh, what are you using and what is the environmental impact? I would do that for any time I'm, I'm working with a body. You know, we now know a lot about uh, what happens with embalming, right, we, that we didn't used to think about and didn't talk about. So it's, it's my understanding that in general, aquamation is better for the environment than cremation is. Obviously, um, burial in the ground, if the animal has not, um, has not had... Um, a disease in which they've been taking a lot of, for example, oh, chemotherapy drugs, right? We don't want to put them in the ground unless there's a something called a eutha bag, E-U-T-H-A-B-A-G, that's worth looking to. And as well, if you're going to do a, a, a burial um, and the animal has had different, uh, different chemicals in them. So thank you for raising the question, because I think it, it means that, you know, we, we, need to, we need to be informed consumers. Patrick has an interesting question, and this has to do with, I think, something that 
that uh, chaplains who might serve sort of exclusively humans are dealing with as well. Have you come across any level of grief that is unhealthy? unhealthy uh, and needs more than what a chaplain can support and what types of experiences are people having with that when they have an animal loss where it's it's getting uh, you know past this kind of I don't want to say the word normal because that's maybe not appropriate but to where there may be something deeper here going on than just the the immediate animal loss that's a good question Patrick it's a great question. And I think that that's why, and you know, anyone I teach or anyone that, that I'm involved with, I say, you need to know when to refer out. Um, you know, <laughs> you need to have a list of folks that you are able to refer people to that you trust when issues become um, bigger than you're capable of, of working with. And, and I, and I think that that's, um, I think it's important to know where our limitations when, and where our areas of, of focus are. So absolutely, uh, particularly in sleep deprivation. I think that's one area. Um, also, uh, people may need to work with a um, occupational therapist uh, with some of the work situations. I often refer people out to how can I get through my work day um, with you know, my, my bouts of grief and can someone work with me and my employer uh, you know, to help me manage this. So yes, the answer is absolutely yes. I don't know that I would use the, the word unhealthy so much in my work as, you know, we all, we all love to put air quotes around anything and, I, and I'm sure that, you know, we're doing that now, but perhaps the word that I most often use is overwhelm. Or suicidal, obviously, if someone is, is, is suicidal or having the, I can't go on without Fido, I refer out ASAP. Uh, Jonathan, these are both good questions. I'm going to ask one, and then if we have time, we'll come back for the other. Uh, what thoughts do you have for helping people deal with loss that is not necessarily related to death, so they have to give a pet up to a shelter, or losing one in a relationship split, or whatever? That's a really good question, Jonathan. So no death, but there is separation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Um, divorce is a big one for this, or moving. Um, also problems when people need to move and they uh, can't take an animal where they are. Uh, or we have, we have a crazy amount of breed specific bias in this country as well um, as a way that people are kept out of neighborhoods by keeping uh, different breeds of animals out of neighborhoods. There's a wonderful book called Afro Dog by Benedict Bourceron, who anybody who's interested in, in racial and social justice that I highly recommend. So yeah, I, I, think that the, um, I think that the fundamentals stay the same of how I work with people. Uh, the diff, you know, the, there's, what it adds a layer to is what happens to that animal, right? If it's going to a shelter um, and, it, and it adds another, another layer to it. Um, I would absolutely, I've helped people through divorce where, uh, where a court decided that because there were two dogs, one should go with him and one should go with her. And then the dogs were grieving each other and he didn't have a work schedule that allowed him to do anything but crate the dog for eight hours a day right but she had the ability to have both dogs so you know there are legal there are legal issues here there are social issues uh we could probably spend another hour on this jonathan and if you would if you would like specifically to talk about this i'd be happy to have more time with you doing that uh, Allison asks a very practical question, and we'll mention the URL again. She says, please, please tell us again how to order the book. I think that's at the same URL, right, uh, Sarah? Yep. Sacredsendoffs.org slash CIL. CIL. 
And you can also, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, anywhere you get books, it's there. But I think we gave you all two, two bucks off if you, uh, if you order it from, from me and we ship them out. Just, it won't come overnight. Give us like 48 hours to get it out. <laughs> We've all been spoiled by Amazon. You have to wait. We have. And you think, yeah. is this medieval times? <laughs> uh, Megan has a really interesting question about the difference in losing uh, animals and uh, humans. I've heard several people share that the death of their pet was more difficult than a close human loved one. Um, and so are there ways you think about why that animal loss can be more painful than for some people than human loss? Because it's what, well, you know, we throw around that word uh, disenfranchised, um, you know, the idea that, that that loss, we don't have as much support for it. And we don't have the support structure and societally and personally. So we don't have those ways of um, talking about the loss. And what the research that we have says that one of the most important things for uh, being able to you know, get back into balance with your daily living is talking to others. So you know, we need to be able to talk to others. And unfortunately, there are so many people who say, it's just a dog, get over it, et cetera, you know, those kind of things. So I, I think that's why uh, it can hurt more. The other thing I think is that we um, we have fairly, I don't know, we sometimes have very romantic views of our relationships with our animals as well. And so they are fully, they are so love-filled. We don't have as much of the kind of um, tension that we have with, with humans, right? They're so love-filled and they're so based on love and based on care. And so I think just when that doesn't have anywhere to go, that the, the grief really hurts. So that's why I'm saying, you know, do these other things where you can um, get that love out and, and to, other, to other people, to other animals, to other projects. Uh, there's an amazing um, group of people that uh, crochet little, um, little like kind of prayer shawls for animals, you know, and that's where they put their love, put it into the, put it into the knitting, put it into, you know, somewhere else. So I don't know that that answers the question because I don't know that we can with any hard science, uh, but, but that's my response. Uh, I do want to mention someone asked, why is the chat disabled? And I can honestly say, I don't know why it was disabled. So I apologize, everyone. If you were trying to use the chat and couldn't, that was not by design. That was uh, a complete accident. I thought everybody was quite quiet. <laughs> We'll make sure that's maybe my my opening statement had been a little too harsh about I can't keep up with chat. Sorry, folks. Uh, now, I'm going to weave a couple of things together. And in, 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 uh, this is a, a very big topic. But uh, our friend and colleague, Rob Gierka, who uh, helps run Pet Chaplain, or maybe you're the, the yes. only person that runs Pet Chaplain that is sponsoring today's webinar. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Rob is with us and says, uh, chaplains need support, too. So do you personally have a way that you find collegial support when you may need it? And then I also want to put a pin in this and say someone was asking about uh, CPE opportunities here. There is, there are opportunities. Uh, and so we can talk about that in a second, but let's answer the, uh, the chaplain support question first. Absolutely. And hi, Rob, and thanks. Thanks for sponsoring us today. Um, yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we really need to look to is to go multidisciplinary on this and look at what's coming out of the animal studies fields and the animal care fields about compassion fatigue, moral injury, and burnout with people who work with animals. It's real and it's huge. Uh, one report that I read says that veterinarians 
had the highest percentage of suicide of any career now. They've actually gone above, I believe it was dentists before someone else. Um, chaplains also can have burnout and compassion fatigue. And so we need to make sure that we have our supervisory uh, structure in place. We need to make sure we have our communities in place that we can uh, talk about what's going on for us. We need to look at you know transference. We need to look at all the things that's happening with us um, as well. So I think that's that's important. Like any like any chaplain or anyone in care, really beyond beyond chaplain, anyone in care needs to have one of those support structures. Yeah. And we actually formed um, Compassion Consortium a little bit out of that uh, about a year and a half ago, CompassionConsortium.org, uh, which is an interspecies community, uh, spiritually based, uh, for working through some of those things. Oh, CPE. Michael, did you want to touch on that? Yes, and actually that that would, let's fold this all into one big question about education and training, because a, a couple of folks have asked, where, what are the opportunities there? What should I pursue? What's the academic education? What's the field education? So uh, just wh whatever your thoughts on on, on that and the, the resources that you're aware of, because, you know, I think lots of folks are interested in, in dipping their toe into this work, but of course, responsible chaplains don't do that <laughs> without any training. <laughs> So where should they go for that training? Yeah, so there's a number of different ways um, to, I think, to go about this work. Now, obviously, Rob, who's with us and who's sponsoring uh, this this program today uh, at Pet Chaplains, has a program uh, that he offers. Um, I also have a program through Compassion Consortium that is offered in in Animal Chaplaincy, which is a ordination based uh, program for people who are interested in having the spiritual and the religious piece included in theirs. Um, Emerson Theological, which is a new thought school for people who are new thought, uh, also has an animal chaplaincy program. And those are the, the main trainings that I know of. If Rob knows of others, he could put them in the chat within animal chaplaincy. Um, many of us also uh, add to that. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been through two seminary programs. I've done a program in anthrozoology. You know, people will do a study in human-animal bond. Um, you know, there is a lot of kind of assembling what you need going on right now uh, because there is not the same structure uh, that we have for, you know, people, people chaplains, uh, which is interesting. I, I love what Chaplain, uh, Chaplaincy Innovation Lab is doing in showing these different areas now that are emerging. Um, and that are coming up with uh, their different, you know, different ways of addressing different issues. So I, I am placing uh, students in veterinary hospitals, uh, placing them in veterinary in schools, or a lot of people are doing the work one-on-one. -on -one. So I think, did I cover enough of that, Michael? Is there more that pet therapy also is another, another side of this or animal assisted interventions um, it, it is another kind of, I should probably do a slide that shows all these kind of different emerging multidisciplinary things. Well, and it's probably worth uh, acknowledging as well, just in a very basic sense that everyone here who is a chaplain who might be serving people, there's no reason you can't ask about animals in their lives now. Um, and, and that can be part of the conversation wherever your setting is. If you're in the hospital, absolutely, read, absolutely, and I would encourage people to, and I would encourage them to look at the resources, uh, and we'll make sure and get that link in the in the chat, um, and and do some, you know, do do your own research on how you can bring these things in. 
Um, another area, you know, that, that we work a lot in is chaplaincy directly to animals, um, which I didn't cover today because we're, we're talking about more about grief and, and, and loss. Um, I'm sure we'll get her back momentarily. <laughs> I'm not sure where Sarah is located physically, but there must be a, there is a, a warp in the space-time continuum that's rubber banding her around every once in a while. Oh. Uh, SM, what are the services? There's a sunstorm today, so that probably explains it. <laughs> well, I was out and now I'm back. Here we go. We're great. Here we go. We're good. So yeah, I think I think that you know animal concerns are are members of the family, and so being able to bring them into whatever you're doing, great. And if I can support any of you in any way, there's a link on that website too. Uh, if you have more questions, uh, to continue this conversation. Uh, there are a couple of questions regarding ritual, and that's really interesting. Uh, and I always like to think of these in really practical ways. So if you wanted to sort of assemble kind of a ritual kit, what kind of categories would you be thinking about, especially in ways that are culturally uh, sensitive yeah. and understanding that, uh, you know, we can't just sort of pick and choose anything that seems meaningful because they, you know, those do have very specific meanings to them and we can't just use them at will, but yeah. Yeah, okay. one thing I will that. mention, yeah, I will mention this. We have the Sacred Sendoffs box um, that's available on the site that has some ideas that might be helpful for people. What I do is I do rituals based on earth, fire, water, air that bring in different practices of, you know, breathing, of letting go, of, you know, taking, taking our rituals down to their base level of what is the ritual intended to do, not what tradition is it in. Uh, and I find that that really works very, very well for people. Um, most of the rituals that we do can be adapted, that we're already doing can be adapted. Uh, so, you know, I think that for people specifically around animals, one thing I would very, very much recommend including is while the animal is still alive, touch. Including touch within ritual. That's often something that is very healing and, and forgotten. Um, but I think that, yeah, it, and there are a couple of books um, that are in, that I've given you links to, um, other, beyond mine, that have rituals in them and prayers and beautiful words. So get those and start writing your own. And again, that URL is sacredsendoffs, is it .com or .org? .com. Sacredsendoffs.com slash CIO. All the stuff is right there. And I'm so grateful to Sarah because normally that's something that I would have to do, but she has she has assembled <laughs> it all together. So uh, that is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And I'll make sure to um, I'll make sure to snag the chat now as well and see if there were things that I mentioned that I didn't have up on that page, like uh, Benedict's book Afrodog. I'll I'll put those up as well so that you've got everything. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time today and sharing your experiences and your expertise. This is so fascinating. I'm always so grateful to learn about a new and emerging field. And clearly, this is something that is it's growing. It's not a blip on the radar. And so uh, I'm eager to see uh, where you end up taking this, where the field goes and how the lab can be supportive. So thank you. The solar flare is hitting us again. I will wish everyone a good afternoon 
uh, and we will see you again soon. Bye-bye.